So the theme is life of Christ. Last week we studied the life of Christ as God's sacrifice. This week we'll be studying the life of Christ as endless life. Please say endless life. life. (laughs) Oh, it's one of the most satisfying discussions you can have. The life of Christ as endless life. What we'll be studying today is one of the differences, one of the fundamental differences between Christianity and every other religion in the world. You know, every religion tries to perform, tries to do something to be accepted before God. They have rules and regulations. They have rituals that they would do to be accepted before God. But in today's teaching, we would study what is needed for a Christian to be accepted accepted before God. Many religions talk about what you do and the reward you have on the last day. But in Christianity, it's different. There is what he has done that would make us accepted on the last day. In fact, if you are to summarize today's teaching in one sentence, that would be the sentence. And you have to study God's word, meditate on God's word until this becomes your idea. That the finished work of Christ is what has guaranteed my eternity. And then some songs will make sense to you again. I don't intend to look for anybody's trouble. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible says he has not given us the spirit of bondage again to fear. Romans 8. He says he has given us the spirit of adoption. Remember we cry, Abba, Father. We've not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear. When we think about Christ or the return of the Christ, we shouldn't think fear. We are confident about it. And that's how the early church was. When they thought about the return of the Christ, this they did it with praises, with with celebration. So let's go into the text of today. Ephesians chapter 8. Ephesians chapter 2. I said Ephesians chapter 8 and some people were opening their door. <laughs> kidding. Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, thank you Lord Jesus. Verse 1. This is Bible study. So you will open as quickly as possible. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. It says, And you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You had he brought back to life 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. He brought you back to life. In Bible study, one of the questions you want to ask yourself is, who is he talking to? Next month, we'll be teaching on bad interpretation. It's going to, see, let me tell you, as a giving, I think after next month, you'll be confused when you read your Bible again. So I said, in Bible study, one of the first things you want to ask yourself is, who is he talking to? He said, notice he said, you were dead. He didn't say you are dead. So who is he talking to? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, he says to the saints in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ, to the saints in Ephesus. He wasn't, he wasn't writing a newspaper article to the city of Ephesus. No. He was writing to a specific group of people, the saints. Do you understand? It wasn't something they read in the news that the whole city would read and hear or listen to. No. He wrote this letter to the saints. Whatever information was in this letter was meant for the saints. Was to describe the saints. Was to instruct the saints. In the book of Corinthians, Paul was talking about making judgments, judging situations. He said, I have a right to judge those in church. I don't have a right to judge those outside. I have a right to say, you shouldn't behave this way as a Christian. I don't have the right to tell an unbeliever that. So his letter was written to the Christian, describing them, instructing them, admonishing them. So in verse in chapter 2, he says, You were dead. But he says, You have been quickened. Now we know that this is spiritual death. Because it's not as if all the saints in Ephesus died physically and then they resurrected them. Do you understand? There's no historical evidence that all the saints in Ephesus just died. And no, 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 no. Praise God. Now, in verse 2, it further buttresses the point. He says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. So they were dead and they were walking. Jonathan, he said you were dead in the past. He said then you walked. So they were physically doing things. They carried out activities, but they were dead in the past. This is an important concept to understand. Spiritual death. Now, of course, spiritual death is Christianese. We, we know it. We, we've heard it. But not much has been said in trying to describe or capture what it really is. At best, it's just someone who is not connected to God is spiritually dead, right? Yeah, disconnection from God. But look, if you don't understand what spiritual death is, then you will not know the difference between Christianity and Islam. You will not know the difference between Christianity and Judaism or something else. 
in other religions, they try to tell a corpse. You know what a corpse is? A dead body. They'll say, why are you lying down? Why are you not sweeping this place? Why are you smelling? Why are you not washing yourself? That's what other religions try to do. They tell a dead person to perform. So that he'll be accepted before God. Do you understand? Imagine trying to tell a dead person, "Ah, See your house. It's dirty. Fix it. He's unable. He doesn't have the ability in that state to fix his own self. Right? So he says you were dead. You were unable to help yourself. Even if I told you, okay, this is what to do. You were unable to do it. So let's see how he describes a spiritually dead person. He says you were, in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 2, he says in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Your life was ruled according to the pattern of this world. You lived a life that was not governed by the rule of God. That's a spiritual dead person. He says, According to the prince of the power of the air, he says, And the spirit that now walketh in the children of this, there was a spirit, there was a force at work in you, making you do the things you did. So, you, you lived a life that was against the pattern of God. You walked according to the course of this world. Why? Because there was a spirit in you that made you disobey God. That's why. So, to tell, to, to be happy that a sinner lives a morally upright life and you think he's improving, you are deceiving yourself. Why? There is a spirit at work in him that would make him live a life that is against the will of God. Let's continue. In verse 3, he says, Among whom you had your conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh. That is the desire of your nature. You know, not everything, for example, that has four legs. Do you understand? It's blood. Hope you know that. Or it's flesh. You know a dog has four legs. And it eats, well, it can eat blood, right? The lion has four legs and it can eat blood, right? Also, a goat has four legs. Would it eat blood? Except it's possessed. <laughs> Do you understand? Yeah. Do you understand? So, why is it that way? Because by nature, Jonathan, by nature, it's, it's designed to eat grass. Do you get what I'm saying? By nature, it's designed to eat grass. By nature, a dog or a lion is designed to eat flesh. Trying to force a lion to be interested in vegetables is a waste of time. Do you understand? It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your time. So, this is who a spiritually dead person is. Praise God. Now, um, so, let me, let me 
Let's let's look at something else. Ephesians chapter four. Verse 17. It says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not according, not as other Gentiles walk. So he's saying, look, he's talking to the church. I say, don't walk the way the unbelievers walk. Don't lead your life the way they do. He says, in the vanity of their mind. Let me explain this to you. When he says in the vanity means emptiness. Do you understand? It means when he has to do with the things that matter to God, their mind is empty. Their mind doesn't have the capacity to be relevant in the things that count. Let's continue. It says, having their understanding darkened. This is not talking about their understanding of science. Neither the understanding of wealth. Do you understand? Many scientific and technological advancements came by unbelievers. So he is not... In fact, some of us in school were taught by... Were enlightened, had our understanding improved in academics by unbelievers. Some of our teachers and our lecturers were unbelievers. Some of the people that took tutorials were unbelievers. So their understanding concerning academics was not darkened. But when it has to do with the understanding of the things of God, which is the most important thing, the understanding was darkened. So there's a context to it. He says, being alienated from the life of God, this is where we're going to. They were separated from the life of God. It's important to know that. Do you understand? Remember in, in John chapter is it um, 5 is 26 or so, he says, as the father has life in himself, so has he given the son to have life in himself. So the life that the father has is the life he gave the son to have. So when he says they were alienated from the life of God, it's the same thing as saying they were alienated from the life of Christ. An unbeliever doesn't have the life of Christ. He is dead. He is, he is ruled by a system, by a force that prompts him and gives him the desire to do the things that are contrary to God. Telling him to do otherwise is telling him to go against his nature, his maker. Do you understand? So that's what spiritual death is. So what happens when someone is that is spiritually dead dies physically? Do you understand? What happens when someone that is spiritually dead dies physically? Roman um, Revelation twenty. This is one book that just confuses many people. Once you just read like two verses, you are confused already. They're thinking, ah, what is he talking about? Revelation 20. Verse 5 into verse 6. He says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. And then he says, Revelation 20 verse 5. He says, But the rest of the dead 
lived not again until a thousand years. The rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years. So he describes two groups of people. A set that is alive and another set that is dead. He said the rest of the dead lived not again. So there is a set that is alive and then there is a set that is dead. He says this is the first resurrection. Johnson. Now, he says, Blessed and holy is he that had path in the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has path in the first resurrection. Now, if you are very, very familiar with the epistles, and you should be, you know that this set is describing our Christians. Do you understand? The word blessed and the word holy are always used to describe Christians in the epistles. Do you understand? It's, 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 an, it's an adjective or they are adjectives that are used to describe Christians. So when he says blessed and holy, he's not, he's not blessing them or making He's saying those that partake are those that are blessed and those that are holy. Do you understand? And then, the word blessed in the epistles is not used for finances. But that's a talk for another day. Alright? So he says, blessed and holy is he that had part in the first resurrection. He says, on such, the second death had no power. Do you understand? He says, on such, the second, there is some, what is this? Now, remember we talked about death. Right? He talked about spiritual death. And then now he's talking about another type of death that he calls the second death. He says, blessed are those that have no path. And blessed are those that have path in the first resurrection. He said the second death has no power over them. Do you understand? So he talks about Christians and says the second death doesn't have power over them. The second death doesn't have power over them. First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15 verse 51. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Oh, this is beautiful. Are we there? First Corinthians 15. Verse 51. 1 Corinthians 1 5, verse 5 1. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. He says, But we shall all be changed. Now remember what I said. In studying the Bible, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, Who is he talking to? Do you understand? Is he, is this, is this, a letter from the president to the nation. No. It's a letter from an apostle to the church. Do you hear what I said? First Corinthians 15 verse 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sisthenes, our brother. He says, unto the church of God which is at Corinth. 
So when he says we shall not all sleep, he's talking to the church and say, listen guys, we shall not all sleep, but we'll be changed. The word sleep there is real used. He used to disciple death. He says, look, Christ would return. Not all of us would have died by that time. Some Christians would be alive. But one thing, all of us will be changed. He was talking about us. Now look at it. 52. Are you with me? He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, he said, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall rise incorruptible. He says, and we, we, we will be changed. He says, for corruptible, that's the mortal body, must put on incorruption. And these mortal must put on immortality. He said, so, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and mortality shall put, and the mortal shall put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the same that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. This is what the writer of Revelation was saying. When he says, the second death will not have power over them. Do you understand? The second death will not have power over them. Death will be swallowed up in victory. We would have victory over death. Why? Because we would resurrect. Do you understand? Do you see how he said it? He didn't say it like, I'm not sure some of us, it might happen to some of us, so you people be serious. So, no! It was, it was a given. Do you understand? It was a given that we will be changed. Then concerning us, the same shall be fulfilled, that death is swallowed up in victory. Praise God. Let's go to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 14. First Thessalonians 4. 14. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Ha! So this is the condition. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He says, even so also. Them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Did you see the condition? That's those that died and are believers. Do you understand? He uses death there for um, sleep to describe physical death. He says, if we, so the condition is if we believe in Jesus, that Jesus died and rose again. This is very important. The information we hear. He didn't just say, those that believe that Jesus is God. Did you realize that James said, look, even the devils believe that God is and they even tremble. So it's not enough to just believe that there is God. Do you understand? It's not even enough to believe that Jesus is a, was a prophet. 
It's not even enough to believe that Jesus was a man sent by God. The information you believe is specific. That he died and rose again. Did you see that? 1 Corinthians 15. Just, just go back a little and see what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 1 he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you. I think it was the NLT that says, let me clarify the gospel that I preach to you. He says, which also you have received and wherein you stand. He says, by which you were also, it's this information, by which you were saved. He says, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you um, you believed in vain. He says, I delivered unto you in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ did what? can't hear you. How that Christ did what? Did you see that? And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the information that forms the gospel. The fact that Christ died for our sins and rose again. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says in verse 14, If you believe that Christ died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Are we there? Verse 15 says, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. That is, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking by the Spirit of the Lord. This is, it's like saying, I'm giving a commandment by the Lord. He says, that we, we, which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, will not prevent them which are asleep. He says, for the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God. He says, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Do you understand? Every believer, do you see that? Shall rise. The condition is that they believed the gospel. Do you understand? He says in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. Read the last sentence. What does it say? Uh, read loud. What does it say? Did you see that? It didn't say we would rise and thank you for judgment and then we will now know where we are going to end up. It says so we would always be with the Lord. The KJV says and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Our destination as Christians, our destination as believers, is sure from the beginning. Do you understand? It's sure. Do you see it? So you can't be singing where you come to college, your people. Remember me. No, 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 no. Johnson. 
<laughs> I remember this song by Resonance many years ago. Judgment Day. <laughs> On Judgment Day. It's so sweet. It's a to save you. To save you. It was good for choreography, but never as inspired by the word of God. Do you understand? It's sure. Our destination is sure. No one is precluded and no one is excluded. If you are a believer, it's sure. Let's look at John chapter 3. Let's just read some words of Jesus. John chapter 3. Ah. <laughs> verse 15 and verse 16. Hmm. He says, That whosoever believe... Oh, let me, let me start from... Let me start from verse 14. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he says, So shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Which, which lifting up? What was he talking about? He said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. He was talking about Jesus, right? Which event in the life of Jesus was he talking about? The what? The crucifixion. Do you understand? And then he says, That whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. Do you understand? Do you see the same condition again? This is Jesus himself talking. You can... Oh. Wait, we didn't... Let's go back to First Thessalonians. Let, let, there's something I didn't read there. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Are you there? Remember we read from verse 14 to verse 17. You remember? The end of verse 17 says what? And so shall will ever be with him. Right? He now says in verse 18. Read verse 18. One to go. Did you see that? He says comfort one another with these words. These words are to bring peace to your heart. The concept, the context of this um, teaching he did was that Many believers were dying in, the, um, in, in, in their church. And so he said, look, we don't mourn like those that do not have hope. We know where they are. And we, their life, will not prevent they that died. When the Christ come, those that are dead in Christ will rise first. We will join them and would ever be with him. He said, so comfort yourself. He said, we will meet them again. And it will be forever. Hallelujah. Yeah. So let's go to John chapter 3. Where we were. John chapter 3. Verse 15 says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have 
eternal life. You know, there's just something about the phrase eternal life or everlasting life that that we are so familiar with that we forget the meaning of the word. What's the meaning of eternal? Sorry? What's the meaning of eternal? Unending. Unending. What's the meaning of eternal? Has no end. Thank you. What's the meaning of eternal? It's long. What's the meaning of eternal? Infinity. <laughs> Do you understand? Shall not perish, but has endless life. These are the people that he said the second death has no power over. It is in our lives that death is swallowed up in victory. We are alive with Christ and will be like that forever. Huh. There are more interesting things. Let's continue. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Who? Let's read verse um, John five twenty four. <laughs> this is beautiful. If you haven't been convinced, this should convince you. John chapter 5 verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, do you understand? Thus, assur- this is assurance. Do you understand? Uh-huh. He, says, ver- he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I don't know why you're laughing, He that b- heareth my word and believeth on him that has sent me has everlasting life. He says, and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death to life. Woo! Chelsea, please read your version. That's the HCSB. Okay. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes in me, this same has eternal life. I will not be under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Did you see that? Hey! Ha! And then someone say he had a vision of heaven and hell. And he saw a Christian about to enter. Or he may be a pastor about to enter heaven. Then I say, ah! <laughs> yes! Yes, that matches. <laughs> say, Do you understand? And I say, ah, sorry, you can't go. And I say, I cry. He say, no, 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 go to hell. He says he shall not face judgment. Why? Because the Christ of God has... Remember last week, John chapter 1 verse 29. What does he say? You can't remember. John chapter 1 verse 29. From last week. Behold the Lamb of God. Hey, that taketh away the sins of the world. He took all the the weight. He took all our judgments. There is no judgment remaining for us. Why? Because he took everything. If we were meant to be given 12 strokes, he took it. So, the 
the demand of justice has been met. He has served the full term of our jail, at full jail term, and so we are free. Do you understand? He said, they will not come to, for judgment. They will not come under condemnation. He said, they have passed from death. We are in, listen, there are different categories. We are not in the category of the dead. We have passed from death to life. Do you understand? Alright, John chapter 6. I'll start from verse 35. It says, And Jesus said unto them, He says, I'm the bread of life. It's me. I'm the bread of life. He says, He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never test. And he's not talking about physical hunger. Neither he's talking about physical test. He's talking about things that pertain to eternity. To salvation. Do you understand? Listen. That's why you cannot be saved twice. See, I know you've been born again. I must say it. Do you understand? Yes, come and rededicate. He said, let's read it. He said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never taste. He said, but I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believed not. All that the Father had given me, all that the Father had given shall come to me, as giving shall come to me, and he that cometh to me I shall in no wise cast away. He says, For I am come down from heaven not to do my will. Remember last week I told you what the will of God is. It's salvation. It's not that you should become a doctor. Or that. No, 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 no. That's not the will of God. The will of God, as the scripture talks about it, is salvation. He says, I've come not to do my will, but to do the will of him that sent me. He says, and this is the Father's will. which he, This is the Father's will which has sent me. That all which have he had given me, I shall lose nothing. He says, but shall rise but shall raise it up again on the last day. Verse 40. He says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him on the last day. So that's the will of God. That all that believe in Christ will be resurrected on the last day and will be like that. We will live with him. No hell. We ask Christ, why did you come? He said, I have come that you may have life. That's why he came. It gets more interesting. John chapter 10. Then he says it clearly. If you were confused <laughs> with this, you, you can't be again. John chapter 10. Verse 28. John 10, 28. This is Jesus again speaking. 
He says, I give them eternal life. How does he give eternal life? He says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. By believing in the gospel. He says, I give them eternal life. He says, they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. Did you see that? You are kept by God. Do you understand? Your salvation is kept by God. Verse 29. It says, My Father that gave, it, that, that gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So when you think about the last day, you, you, you know your salvation is kept by the might of God. It's not, it's not, it's not something that, it's not, it's not a slippery ground. But the Bible says, narrow is the way that leads to life. It's because, like I said, there is a specific message to believe. Not be, because there are many different people have come to say this is the way and this is, no, there is a specific message to believe. Abroad is the way that leads to destruction. Do you understand? Yes. Do you understand? It's not because it is slippery ground. No, no, no. You are kept by him. You are kept by him. You have the life of Christ in you. And that's the endless life. Glory to God. Yeah. So when we say Jesus is coming soon, <laughs> we rejoice because we know where we are going to. Do you understand? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. So we are kept. Alright. So now we that have endless um, um, the life of Christ have endless life. What does that translate to? John chapter um, Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Some people might want to call this the balance to this teaching, but I, I think it's just what the Bible teaches. John chapter um, Romans chapter eight, verse eleven. Now let me explain a scripture that some of us might not have understood, might not have been taught well, it might not have been interpreted well to us. So let me explain it. Pay attention to the context. Pay attention to what is trying to compare. You will get it. Verse eleven says, "For if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you." There was a spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. He said, if that spirit dwells in you, he said, that same spirit will bring to life your mortal body. He's talking about resurrection, not healing. Did you get it? The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if it dwells in you, that same spirit will bring life King James uses the word quicken. 
will bring to life your mortal body. Do you understand? This is resurrection. This is resurrection. Listen, your body doesn't need healing because of the presence of the Spirit of God in you. You can heal the body, the sick body of an unbeliever. Hope you know. Of course, all the people that Jesus healed in the four Gospels were not believers. They were not born again, rather. Johnson, they were not born again. They didn't have the Holy Ghost inside of them. The Holy Ghost came in Acts chapter 2. Right? And that's when he indwelled the people to stay upon inside of them. Right? We're not sure. We're thinking about it. Some of the people that he healed did not believe in him. They did not. For example, in John chapter 6, I think we read John chapter 6, when he said, I'm the bread of life. Let me tell you what happened there. He had multiplied bread for them some days before then. And then the guy said, ah, we die with this man. This ministry, this is ministry, we'll be going. Bread, <laughs> bread ministry. Do you understand? And then, Jesus didn't say, ah, if the people want it, we give them what they want. No. No. He said, listen, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me will be no wise cast away. Give us bread now. What all this bread of life story? <laughs> Give us bread. Let's eat. Do you know that when he gave them the bread, they said, "This is the prophet to come." Why? Because when Moses, see, Moses was an instrumental part of the Jewish culture. In fact, yes. In fact, some theologians say or seem to say that. The what Moses taught is what was taught throughout the Bible. That when the prophets came and were prophesying, oh, you have seen, this will happen to you. They were only reiterating what Moses had said. The causes that Moses said for this particular sin, that's what they were doing. And then, of course, they prophesied, the prophets prophesied about Christ. So what Moses had done. Of course, some people had a little more detail. Yeah. Do you understand? But Moses said, a prophet like me will come. So, one of the things was, so when he multiplied bread, they said, this is the sign. This is the sign. They were already believing in him because he, they believed in him as Messiah because of the multiplied bread. Jesus didn't say, ah, okay, this one that they're already believing in me as Messiah. Let me continue to do what is making them believe. He said, no. I am the bread of life. So let me say, last week you came. And we gave to me. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> this week. <laughs> and then we don't give. They're like, ah. Let me try them one more time. One <laughs> more time. And then we don't even say, ah, that's the end. <laughs> you know, I invited someone. 
And the person say, we give them something after the meeting. <laughs> Do you understand? But Jesus didn't say, okay, ah, since this is what we want, we give them. No, he said, the bread of life. The Bible said they turned away. They didn't follow him again. <laughs> they rejected the eternal life. Because of bread. Can I bring it to our context? So when you you neglect where the world is being taught, you know because that's what Jesus is. I think Jesus began to teach what what like what was was bread of life. You bread of life. Start studying about Christ. When for any reason you neglect where the world is being taught, for where any other thing is being taught. Are you different from them? Do you know that their own self, Jesus was using parable. He didn't come out straight and say, look, I'm the Messiah. Right? And anyone that believes in me. He didn't explain the way I'm explaining it. Don't think they understood what he was saying. They didn't understand. Even his apostles did not understand. The apostles that didn't they still run away when he died? You thought they believed. You thought they understood. He now spent time teaching them again. After that time, even persecution. Genesis couldn't stop them. So, when for any reason, no matter how legitimate it may be, some it, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. You know that there are people that will leave a church where they are taught to walk to another church because they don't give them opportunity to lead inquire. They are like, lead, I was a lead singer. And this, who is this one that just came? Just a young person. <laughs> Praise God. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8 verse 11. It says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that same spirit will bring to life your mortal body. Do you understand? To bring to life your mortal body. So, you are, see, let me tell you, your resurrection, your eternal destination is, is too short. Do you hear what I said? It's too short. Now I'm moving further. Here I want you to pay attention. Look at what he says in verse 12. Notice how he starts verse 12. What does he say? Therefore, now that you know this, this is what to do. Do you understand? Now that you know that because the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from dead dwells in your mortal body, and he will bring to life your mortal body. He says, therefore, brethren, you, you, we are not debtors, we are debtors not of the flesh to live after it. But to live after the flesh. Notice that he says we are debtors. He says we are debtors not of the flesh. To live after the flesh. 
we are debtors not of the flesh to live after the flesh. So now that we know this, we don't go about and live a careless life. Ephesians chapter 2, where we started from, says something quite similar. Ephesians chapter 2, are we learning the word? It's a glory to God. Hallelujah. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, can we read together? 1, 2, go. He says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ unto good works. Did you see that? He says, for we are his workmanship. Notice that a believer is called a new creation. A man that is alive. He says, he has taken the stony heart out of your flesh. Do you understand? I told you that in a non-believer, there is a force at work in him that would make him not to do the things that please God. His desires are continually against the things of God. You know, I said salvation is not a driving school. It's not about making you tons. Do you understand? You know when you listen to some other calls? Say, ah, Lord, Present myself. I make a U-turn. No, 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 no. It's a miracle of changed desires. He has given you the desire for his things. He said his spirit is at work in you. Giving you the desire and enabling you to do the things that please God. Genesis is at work in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what salvation is. It's not behavior modification. Why other religions try to tell you to perform? He gives you a new desire. He takes away the stony heart out of your flesh. Do you understand? See, that's why you can trust a Christian. Ideally, you should be able to trust a Christian. Why? Because he's not ruled by the flesh. Do you understand? He's not ruled by the flesh. He says, I would write my laws in their hearts. Talking about Christians. Jensen. He said, I'll put my law in their hearts. He said, I'll cause them to do what is pleasing to me. Jensen. It's a miracle of changed desires. It's not something you do. No, it's something he does. Do you understand? Like I always say, you can't say as a Christian, you don't know me. (laughs) 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 Do you understand? No. We know you. You are clearly described in this book. If you say that, I will say, no, 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 you don't know you. Do you understand? I'll say, ah, I have me. 
Like get angry now. Nobody can carry that. <laughs> I, I'll change it for you. Do you understand? I'll wash. No, 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 no. 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 Romans chapter 4. Look at what it says about the new creation. Sorry, not Romans chapter 4. It's Romans chapter 5. Verse 5 says, I hope make it not ashamed. It says, Because the love of God is shared abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost which is given to you. The love of God is shared abroad in your heart. Jonathan, the love of God is shared. The kind of love that God had that could make him forgive the sins of the whole world. You know, the Bible says God loved the world this way. He sent his son to die for the world. Jonathan, that same love is in your heart. So you can't say, what can they do to you that you not forgive? Nothing. Nothing. Jonathan, in fact, he says you should forgive as you have been forgiven. And if you keep record of your sins well, you know you've really done a lot. Jonathan, you've really done a lot. And then he says forgive. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Yeah. So we are his workmanship. We, we were crafted that way. We were, we were designed for good works. Do you understand? The way he made us. He created us in a way that we have desire for the things that are good. We have desire for the things that please God. Do you understand? And we have the ability to do the things that please God. So this is who you are. Jameson, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. Alright? So, this is how you should see yourself. This is not about positive confession. I will rule the world. I will take over. Eh, eh. Those things, and let me tell you, those things are not different from what other religions try to do. Trying to you know, exert yourself to do things. And you know that people have attained a lot of heights by exerting themselves. By meditation. Do you They exert themselves. And they do things. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is declaring what God has said about you. He has said you are righteous. You say the same. When the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed, says the Lord. Do you get what I'm saying? You should say what he said. 
So when you hear what the Bible says about you, don't say no. Ah, that do you know me? Ah. When you look at hey, you see what God has said about you. Do you understand? That's important. All right. Um. Then the Bible says, "Let the message about Christ dwell richly in your heart." Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is how to. This is part of your spiritual growth process. That the message about Christ will dwell in you richly. I think that's Colossians chapter four verse thirteen, right? Colossians chapter four. Colossians 3.16 rather. It says, let the word of Christ, I think the NLT says the message about Christ, what Christ has done, dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 This is why you should regularly listen to messages that tell you about what Christ has done. Because he says, you really you Let it saturate yourself. Let me tell you why. Because now, this thing you've heard, you should listen to it again. Listen to it again. Because you, you know it's like, it's like in school, when you hear something once. You think you understand it. But then when you face it in exam or test, you're like, ah, I thought I knew this thing. I thought I understood the way around it. What's happening? But when you revise, and revise, and revise, and revise, it will just stay with you. Have you tried, have you tried probably giving your number to someone, someone gave you his phone, like, please put your number, and your hand was just going. You just, it's because you are, you've acclimatized yourself with it. it. It becomes like a second nature to you. That's how it is. When the message about Christ dwells in you richly, you naturally just emit it. It changes your perspective. It gives you a paradigm shift. That's important for your spiritual growth. That your mindset is adjusted. That your mindset is adjusted. So he says, let the message about Christ dwell in you richly. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So, when the message dwells in you richly, you begin to speak it. You sing it. You declare it. You declare what God says you are. You sing songs that talk about who you are and what God has done for you. Not pack your blessing, pack your blessing. (laughs) Not double-double. But you sing songs like I know who I am. It has lines of the Christocentric nature of the word of God in it. It's important. It helps adjust your mindset. 
It's an important part of your spiritual growth that your mindset is adjusted. Listen, I told you, I'm reiterating. It's not enough to just know it once. Let the message about Christ dwell in you. Stay there. Stay there. Let it be your constant meditation. At the point you realize that your life is adjusted to it. You will naturally just do it. Speaking. Hmm? Speaking is a fundamental part of doing. Speaking is a fundamental part of doing. There's a reason why he said to put it on your lips. He said, let the message dwell in you. Then you, everything he said was about speaking. There is what my mentor calls practicing edification. Make it a part of your prayer life. You're praying, you're praying. See, let me teach you how to pray. Let me teach you how to pray. This is a good way to start your prayer. This is a very good way to start your prayer. You pray in tongues. Many of us just start, ah, just start on it. Ah, Father, thank you for today. Ah, thank you for waking me up this morning. Ah, Father, forgive me of all my sins. Though the known and the unknown. This is early morning. I just waking up from this sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand? And then, you know, you now ask for all the things you have. And then, you say you're not praying. How do you expect to pray long with that kind of prayer life? <laughs> you wake up and you say, Oh, I'm the, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Listen, your, your emotions, eh, are being directed. You say, I have endless life in Christ. Glory to God. You're praying in tongues, you're praying in tongues, and you say, Ha! Huh, I'm accepted before the Father. Hey! First Corinthians 1 9. Praise God. God is faithful. God is faithful by whom we are called unto fellowship, co fellows with His sons. Huh, with His Son, Jesus Christ. Hey! He says, as he is, so are we in this world. I mean, you get excited already saying all of this. As he is, so are we in this world. That's beautiful. So, that's how your prayer life should be. Do you understand? That's how your prayer life should be. You start your talking in tongues and you are saying, you are, you are allowing the message of Christ dwell in you richly and you are saying it. You are saying it. Before you know what's happening, your emotions have been redirected. You are rejoicing in the Holy Ghost. You're jumping around and you're shouting around. You come out with a glow. You don't come out depressed. You come out with radiance. You come out lighter in your spirit. Even in your relationships with people, this will help you. Do you hear what I said? You have an angry boss. That's like angry bed. Always angry. <laughs> Do you understand? This is how you pray. 
You're pacing around. You're jumping around. You're saying glory to God. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart. I do not keep record of wrong. I rejoice when truth prevails. This is what 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 says about you. Of course, if you don't read your Bible, you will not know these things. <laughs> you understand? You'll be saying, I'm happy. <laughs> no. And then when you leave there, there's this calm in your heart. There's this calm in your heart. And then when you go to work and the boss annoys you, the peace inside of you is too much. It was calm. In a relationship, you guys are always fighting. It's very easy. By the time you finish this one, you meet the person. You just annoy you. Just leave him. So you're not saying anything. This is how the virtues that God has said about you will manifest physically. Did you hear me? This is how the virtues that God has said. So, you, we don't tell you, teach you this now, about endless life in Christ, and then you say, at times I can go, I can go and say, no, 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 no. You go, it says, comfort yourselves with these words. Then you let the message of Christ dwell in you. Then you practice edification. You know me of edification? The word edify in the Bible um, used in 1 Corinthians 14 it says he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. It's okodomio in the Greek. It means to build up like an edifice. You, you are solid. Just are you dig ground. Do you get what I'm saying? You are there. Not easily moved. Jude 20, Jude chapter 1 verse 20 says, Building up, that word building up, is the same word, Okodomi in the Greek. Your most holy faith is praying the Holy Ghost. So you are built up. You are, you are solid. Then when you, you allow the word of Christ, to dwell in you. This is how you see advan- advancement, progress in your in the daily acti- in your daily activities, in the way you respond to people. So you are not. This is it. You don't exert yourself to see change. No, you accept the change that Christ has said about you. You rejoice in it. You meditate on it. You speak about it. Before you know what's happening, you would see the change in your life. That's why it says you behold as in a mirror. You are changed into the same image. What you are seeing, what you said about you, that you are looking at, that you are seeing about yourself, you would see it manifest. This is how spiritual growth happens. So you declare, I have self-control. You declare about yourself, I have self-control. There is peace on my inside. There is peace. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My words are seasoned with salt. I speak words of grace. I say, ah, me, I'm a sarcastic person. I give you the way it comes. I give you what? <laughs> no. My words are seasoned with grace. 
I speak to the lifting up of the of people's spirits. So, ah, that's it, ah, me. I don't know. Me, I'm male cop. <laughs> so, God is gyrating. I'm not into all those kind of gyrating, gyrating things. That me, I'm not the jumping type. He says, the kingdom of God is in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Check him say, this is a description of you. Do you understand? So learn to practice edification. Do you hear what I said? Learn to practice. Listen, I've taught you how to pray now. Don't go back and just spoil everything. <laughs> Listen, your needs, you, you, your needs are not, they are not, they shouldn't be, they should, they would, listen, he has promised to answer your needs. He said, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that your job will be full. He intends that you ask for what you want and you get it so you'll be happy. He's interested in pleasing you. So that shouldn't take the whole of your prayer time. What you should spend a bulk of your prayer time doing is practicing edification. Listen, in practicing edification and in speaking in tongues and interpreting and speaking in tongues and interpreting, you would also get supernatural direction. You get supernatural. You see, people think the wisdom of God is just a vague thing, just comes over here, just like Solomon, you're just telling people what to do. Not necessarily. Sometimes in the place of prayer, there is impression in your spirit to do a particular thing, meet a particular person, walk within a particular range of time. And you follow it and you get the result, even in the practical areas of your life. So next time I say, let's pray. I'll be watching now. <laughs> you know, Jesus was watching now when they were praying. Do you know that? He said, they came to pray. Some Pharisee was saying, you know, I tithes. He was listening. And then he spoke about the Republican that trusted in the mercy of God. He was listening. God forgive me. I stopped ah! <laughs> stop that. Praise God. Have you been blessed today? Alright. Shout glory! Glory! glory!